0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me today on temporary leave from the NX-04 Discovery is Tommy Kraft. Tommy, welcome back.
1: Hey, thank you. It's always a joy to come to the NX-01. I love the chef's
0: cooking. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have a chef quite like ours over on your ship, do you?
1: No, unfortunately, ours doesn't look like Captain Kirk.
0: (laughs) Does yours let you actually see his face sometimes?
1: Uh, well, yes, because that's how I know he doesn't look like Captain Kirk. Okay. All right. That's true. That's true.
0: So, I'm glad you're here today. We're going to do a, a, it may be a shorter show because we're going to get into a really specialized topic here today. We haven't done this in a little while. We're going to talk about the Temporal Observatory, which I thought would be interesting to talk about because we hear so much these days about Google Glass and Oculus Rift and recreating environments and holographic, this and that. And, you know, stellar cartography on the Enterprise, which we saw on the Enterprise D, which we saw in Generations, was a really cool room. But even that, to me, is not as cool as the temporal observatory.
1: I agree. I, and it's because, like, when you think about a temporal observatory, it even takes a second to think, what would that actually be like? Mm-hmm. And it's how would you display a timeline to people and i thought enterprise had a really unique visualization of
0: that it's interesting you mentioned that right up front do so my take on time i love time travel stories and i love to read about time i like to read scientific books you know speculating on the nature of time me too and i've always been fascinated with it since i was a little kid and i picture it as being sort of like this that it's very fluid and like things are changing all the time and that events have all happened already not not to say that i believe in fate like our our lives are predestined per se but just this idea that everything's kind of out there somewhere and you you maybe could jump back and forth because we just perceive it as being linear when maybe it's not
1: it's the whole uh, flatlander argument in Mm -hmm. a way um it's because we know that time scientifically it's been measured does not flow at the same rate everywhere in the universe or even locally as our planet gps satellites have mathematics to account for the fact that time is actually faster in space very slightly Mm -hmm. than it is on the surface of the planet and so if you get into the science of it even like how would that affect your temporal observatory and what is it like i don't know what does it mean to be a temporal observatory would you just display kind of like this weird you would have to have a lot of subsets of sections i would imagine and you know it'd be like because you see at one point there's like this display of the great pyramids Mm -hmm. uh and so you maybe you'd go to the great pyramids and you see all the things going on there and uh yeah it's 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 really it's kind of surreal to think about
0: you know, we've seen a few things like this in Star Trek before, and I don't want to make this discussion about time travel per se, so I'm not going to get into every instance where a ship or a character has traveled through time, but just the actual act of observing different points on the timeline, we've seen that in the original series, The Guardian of Forever in the city on the edge of Forever, as well as The Guardian of Forever in yesteryear on the animated series that's a device that is it's not exactly like the temporal observatory but it is that type of device where you are you mentioned the pyramids there's that scene on enterprise where where we we see the pyramids and it's sort of like that right you're you're looking through a window into different points in time also kind of like the iconian gateways as well
1: right Well, and, and even then you're still delineating it. And even the word timeline Mm -hmm. is bringing it back into this very two dimensional Mm -hmm. past, future kind of deal. And I think, given the way we see the universe as three dimensional beings, there's really no other way you could, uh, you could visualize it. I've, I've thought about this a lot because I thought one of, it came to my mind first with a with a video game final fantasy they had this this uh city that existed outside of time and then i started thinking about if i would i thought this would make a really good story in and of itself if you had this city that existed outside of time and you could see all of time basically mm-hmm. below it and it's mm-hmm. like what would that what would that mean how would that I it's it's like asking to come up with another color that we haven't seen before. It's just... So, yeah, looking at it like windows, like a window into a certain time in the timeline, I think is about the only way you can do it.
0: Are you describing a city that below it is the time, Like like these are separate planes, and then if you look down at the next plane, you're actually seeing all of time spread out?
1: Yeah, it, it's kind of like if you uh, look through a window and like if you're, say you're in one of those windows on the Enterprise that faces down and you look down and you see a, an entire galaxy below you. So mm-hmm. what if an entire galaxy you saw all of time below you? And conceptually, you could do that. But what would that actually be? I don't, I don't know. Because we... Because time is something that is either behind or ahead of us. It's always in a line.
0: At least in our perception.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's fascinating. It's really, my head spins when I think about this stuff. And yet I take every opportunity to, as I said, read about it or discuss it or whatever. Yeah. It's just always been fascinating to me. So, in enterprise, as we talk about the temporal observatory, now this is a device that Daniels has, and it's a tool that he's using as a temporal agent in the Temporal Cold War. So before we get to the device itself, I think we should give a little overview of the Temporal Cold War just to set up the rest of the discussion. Now, we've done a dedicated Temporal Cold War show before here on Warp 5. If you want to go listen to that and you haven't heard it, it's episode 17, Future Guy is Jacob. We came, Tommy, to the conclusion that the mysterious humanoid figure future guy actually is Jacob from Lost.
1: Uh, I think that's about (laughs) the best uh, conclusion I've heard because Jacob, I I actually, I thought Jacob was awesome. I don't know if anyone else agrees with me, but uh, I could see that totally being the case. We could totally have a (laughs) crossover episode. And, uh, you know, maybe Archer goes to meet Jacob slash future guy and he starts hearing a lot of whispers and stuff. And it's it's the dead spirit of Trip coming back to the island slash Enterprise. And uh, not to spoil it, Trip dies. Um,
0: <laughs> not in my head canon, he doesn't.
1: Right. Yeah. Mine either.
0: <laughs> so the temporal Cold War is the storyline, as Enterprise fans know, that was sort of wedged into the series by Brandon Braga because the studio wanted a futuristic element. It was really the idea that Brandon had for another show entirely. So it gets wedged in here, and it doesn't really get sufficient play for it ever to really take hold. But the basic premise is that there are different factions that are fighting a war across time and trying to change the outcome of history And that's what leads to the Zindi attack on Earth. The Zindi are told by the sphere builders that humans will destroy their planet in the future, so they need to destroy the humans now. And Daniels tells Archer in Carpenter Street that in the 31st century, there's no record in the history books of a conflict between humans and the Zindi. So, History is being changed through incursions all the time, and that has to be stopped. So that's the the basic concept of the Temporal Cold War. Do you have any thoughts you want to share on the Temporal Cold War, Tommy, before we move into this?
1: Uh, I really like the Temporal Cold War, actually. I think it was a really interesting story element, and it's... I can understand the frustration from a writer's perspective of getting this order from on high that you have to incorporate this other element. And so you kind of just throw something in there, but I don't think it had to be as a back burner element as it became. I think Mm -hmm. if the writers, you know, Brandon in particular had decided to really run with that idea, it could have been a really unique and interesting story that really helps set the show apart from the other shows and especially helps set a time travel uh, storyline apart because there was a lot of potential there.
0: Do you think that part of the difficulty of it is that you're writing a Star Trek series set in the 22nd century before all the other series, and there's all this history that we already know, and then we find out that someone was screwing with time behind the scenes all the way through and we never knew about it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I can definitely see that being a problem. But they did really start to run with it in Season 3. Mm-hmm. Not as much in the in reference to Future Guy, but with the Sphere Builders. Because it was pretty clear that they were a pretty large player in the Temporal Cold War. Because mm-hmm. they were changing history a lot. And um, it didn't really affect the future of the canon at all. And then the season four premiere, Stormfront, was a pretty big time travel thing, too, with the Temporal Cold War. So I think it could have been doable, and it could have been kind of like the Dominion War was for DS9, this element that really set it apart from the other shows. And instead, Mm -hmm. it just kind of fell by the wayside, I think, because Brandon and the others weren't interested in doing it, which is too bad.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. And Stormfront was sort of like Manny Koto saying, We're going to do something really different in season four. So let's put this to bed now. Let's just end this.
1: Yeah. But they didn't completely put it to bed, though, either, which was disappointing. Yeah. There still was a lot of open questions left, especially and mainly relating to Future Guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I really liked that episode, Stormfront, too. I thought that was a great cliffhanger at the end of season three. And, uh, that was an interesting way to put a conclusion to that story oh yeah that that unfortunately went too long because it just didn't get enough development
0: right yeah well let's talk about the technology here the temporal observatory itself as i said it's a device that daniel's had that allowed him to monitor activity across the entire time stream you said something earlier though that made me think about this sort of the scope of time itself, like all time. And let's discuss the device and the technology and the concept here. And I guess the first question I have for you is, as complicated as this time stream that we're seeing appears to be, and with so many events going on, do you feel like you're actually seeing all of time in the time stream or do you think it's a device that maybe focuses, like you can program it? Like I want to know the history of these worlds and how they relate to one another from this point in time to this point in time. So you're, you're kind of defining parameters for what you're looking at.
1: I think you would have to be able to program it like that because I mean, just the the sheer scope of, of you know galactic time 13.72 billion years that's a that's a ton of history and it's really hard to comprehend that even when you just say 13.72 billion it just sounds like a number mm-hmm. but if i think you would have to even more so than the way enterprise displayed it you would have to find a way i think to label events mm-hmm. by something other than actually showing the event. I think you would need some kind of tagging system where it very much kind of like looking at a nonlinear editor Mm -hmm. where you can see all of the tracks above and below, but not necessarily in a linear line or linear order. But even that's not quite adequate, I think, but you would then have to kind of like zoom into that section on your editor and Mm -hmm. expand it and then expand it more for which people you want to see or which group of people you want to see and i think there was some if they had time and you probably would never realistically have time for this kind of detail in a tv show but if they'd had time they could have definitely gone into some interesting stuff like that with the technology there were certainly the visuals there for that Mm -hmm. because there was clearly a lot of thought put into how that was visually displayed
0: it reminds me i i haven't done this yet i need to now that i have blu-rays i need to go and stop those screens and really look at the fine details oh, yeah. of those displays and just see what's in there because with the tng blu-rays when now that you can read everything that's on those screens yeah, you find some really interesting details that were put in that you never knew that they were there before
1: that's a testament too to, to yeah. the uh uh the production crew um the production coordinator production right. design i think is what i'm thinking of well i think but, it's multiple like, people because it would be like right, Mike okuda yeah.
0: doing the okuda grams of course but there are other designers involved as well and there are other people right, giving yeah. input on what should go there
1: it's yeah. a testament to them that yeah. you know they had they put so much detail into these things that at the time they thought that they must have known or believed that would never be seen or was very unlikely to be seen and this is something I realized when building virtual sets of the enterprise and looking so in detail at at the sets and every little nook and cranny, just how incredibly much work was put into this stuff. It's really amazing the things these people do.
0: Yeah, it, it really, really is. I w- as you were talking about tagging, it was popping into my <laughs> head, like a system like we have, like say in OS 10 right now, where you save a file and you can apply tags to it. This is picturing a tagging system like that in the temporal observatory.
1: You know, that might actually be very useful. Like it you would. think about YouTube tagging. Yeah. You know, that's a, that is a great example of some kind of nonlinear way to display the timeline. You have a video or a section of timeline, and you can tag that section of history with, like, Great Pyramids mm-hmm. or Columbus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that all goes into a collapsed folder and so on. I, that would imagine certainly get very huge.
0: I'm picturing another funny one like on Facebook where these leaflets fall down <laughs> over an entire city and it just says something like, you know, maybe it's in Rome and it says that you've been tagged on Facebook. <laughs> it's like your your time period has been tagged.
1: Now this is a great idea. I think we've hit upon something we should like patent or copyright. It's like the <laughs> Temporal space tagging. Or, yes. Yeah, exactly. And we can we can even like expand this out to a social networking, social media. You mm-hmm. know, we have temporal and, and and space uh like Facebook, only Space Book and Temporal Book and <laughs> Find your friends from the past. <laughs> yes.
0: find your The Find Your Ancestors app is very popular. Yeah, right. It takes a while, though, to get approval because you have to send a request and they have to approve it. and yeah, right. It takes some time. And they
1: might not know how to use it, unfortunately. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, also, you mentioned YouTube, and, and I'm picturing now as well, you know, when you embed a video, you can specify, like, start at this timestamp. Right. And when someone plays it, it'll start at a certain time. So you could use a tool like this to observe certain points in time where you could specify, like I want to know what is happening on Vulcan during the equivalent of earth's 17th century. And I want it to be from the year starting from the year 1642, for example.
1: That's, that's a good point. And it's interesting to note that this technology specifically that Daniel's used in uh cold front May, may not allow for that, because mm-hmm. he did talk about researchers specifically going back to these times too, like physically actually traveling in time. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're thinking about is something a bit more comprehensive, almost like an astrometrics lab or a holodeck, where you don't actually mm-hmm. have to travel in time. It will just bring images of the time period to you, essentially.
0: Right. But do you think that the Temporal Observatory is part of the tool that allows those people to travel to those time periods or it's just a device that they might carry with them but there's another technology that they use to travel because that's pretty much how i would see it
1: i i don't think it would be that hard to integrate the two given the things daniel says like uh they have temporal discriminators i think it is in their school Mm -hmm. desks that mm-hmm. you know the technology is so common and apparently miniaturized for them mm-hmm. and the way that he just tends to pluck archer out of turbolifts and is suddenly or the way he brings archer's brain apparently back to a certain time but not archer himself those mm-hmm. kind of things it it's not really very clear but i would imagine that the temporal observatory is probably something you'd want to have with you if you're mm-hmm. going back in time So you know where you are and how to get back and so on.
0: Because it's, you know, it's a handheld device, like a tricorder. Right. And so it does seem like something that they would carry with them. And it's almost like their map. That's how they they pull up a map. It's just a map of time.
1: Yeah. And then they can can look at it and figure, okay, where do we want to go next in the timeline? Mm -hmm. Or if you have your tagging system, you can look at where you are now and see what else is going on in that Mm -hmm. area and in that time and so on.
0: But another use of it that we see Daniel's doing is monitoring temporal agents and monitoring events throughout the time stream. So that leads us to another aspect of this that I wanted to talk about, which is not actually the temporal observatory itself, but sort of related technology. These days, we hear all about eye beacons from Apple, you know, and how you would use that to do things on proximity And know where you are. But I say, forget about I beacons. We've got T beacons. And with T beacons, temporal beacons, you can know where someone is in the time stream at all times. And the two things that we see are temporal beacons, and then we see temporal tags as well. And I really speculate that these things work together. Although we see different beacons. We see beacons from Daniels in the Federation side. We also see the beacons that the Zindi reptilians had, which were given to them by the sphere builders. So do you picture these beacons as being necessary in order for the temporal observatory to work, to be able to actually know what's happening at different points in time?
1: I was actually wondering about this when I was watching various episodes, because it's not clear how necessary they are because as I mentioned a minute ago, there's a lot of times where Daniels will just pluck Archer from a turbo lift or from wherever, you know, there's the one time where he brings him to, I think the 26th century to see the battle with the sphere builders. Mm -hmm. And as far as we know, Archer didn't have a quote unquote temporal tag on him. So clearly there was some way that Daniels was able to find Archer and grab him and pull him to another time. But yet there are other times, like with this Zindi equipment, where he needs specific tags on them before he can get them. So uh, it, I, I suppose you could rationalize that maybe it's easier to find a person in a specific piece of equipment, mm-hmm. especially somebody as important as Archer. You might want the temporal beacons for added security. And, you know, in case there's something wrong with the equipment, they can just immediately grab the signal of the beacon Mm -hmm. and bring you back. That kind of thing. Or if you get lost in the timeline. Mm -hmm. Because I can imagine it would probably take you a long time to search through history to find someone. So maybe that that is why they needed, you know, just thinking about it, why they needed the beacons. Because they knew where Archer was and they knew what he was doing. But they didn't know where the Zindi equipment was and what the Zindi were doing.
0: Mm. It can especially take a long time to find someone if they're in a city without soup kitchens, for example. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense what you describe, where I could see that temporal agents or specific people might have these beacons so that they can be immediately located, but yet the beacons are not necessary for the observatory to work because otherwise i mean how would you how would you place these beacons throughout history in the first place if, right. if they were really necessary so i have no idea how the temporal observatory would actually work <laughs> without without some connection you know technological connection like that but i guess it's really really good camera equipment
1: right right well i mean it depends on like you know as as I, as we said time is not necessarily linear so and with the right sensors there's a lot of things we can detect Mm. that we wouldn't otherwise be able to see so
0: so you're saying events could be right on our doorstep and we don't know it but with the right equipment we could actually observe something else that's just right here next to us
1: theoretically i mean i mean because that almost sounds more like we're observing ghosts or something that's what i was thinking yeah yeah i mean because i the way i almost looked at it was like it's just this kind of sensor that can pick up history Mm -hmm. and relays it back to the device or whatever so it's the
0: h7 chip it just (laughs) it just quietly collects everything about history and it's available when the device needs it and it's very low Possibly. energy also. Very right. low well energy.
1: yeah, it, run, it runs off lithium ion batteries. <laughs> 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 or well, I mean, even like if you ha- if it was connected to some sort of central database, you know, that yeah. could be an explanation that the observatory connected uh-huh. to something that has all this information on history. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I always picture it as being real-time. I think that's my issue. I pictured it as like this real-time feed of history.
0: Well, it has to be real-time in order for it to work the way that Daniels uses it, right? Because if he's monitoring events in the time stream and even monitoring the activity of agents, then it would have to be real-time.
1: Right, it's true. But you could have parts of it that aren't real-time, possibly, like mm-hmm. archived or, you know, you, you could ha- you could know where in the time stream Rome is. Mm-hmm. but not necessarily have a live, quote-unquote, feed of Rome.
0: Mm-hmm. And the tags, we talked about those a little bit, where Daniels gives Archerin to pull temporal tags when they go back to Detroit to stop the Zindi Reptilians, and they have to tag all the equipment that needs to be removed from the And the, the, the Zindi, too, century. right? And the Zindi, too, yeah. I think they, they do remove the Zindi as well, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. They, I think they do actually put tags on them, if I recall. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. so and that one i can get like material objects sometime somehow you need to tag them yeah at least that certainly makes sense within the star trek universe and how star trek technology tends to work you know throughout star trek we've seen them tagging people you know spock even tagged kirk before he was sent to the klingon ship in the undiscovered country
1: and they could work something too like uh transporter enhancers Mm-hmm. You know where where normally you could get something, but if but there is a certain condition where it's harder to get a lock on something, so you set up your transporter enhancers and you can cut mm-hmm. through.
0: Mm-hmm. So, oh boy, it would be so interesting to know how all this really <laughs> early works, You're right? Yeah. And I guess another question I I have is the importance of the device to the story, and maybe beyond that. How important could the device have been to the story? So to get the answers that we want, and the ones we're speculating on right now, we would have needed to see this used more often on the show. Now, before we started recording, you and I were talking about when did we actually see the temporal observatory in action on screen. Now, we know that in Cold Front we see it. And I really felt like we had seen it somewhere else, but there are... As you mentioned, a few sort of instances, but it's not exactly full operation.
1: Yeah, I mean, there—it's definitely the only, the only time we see this particular device used is is in cold front around you. Yeah, yeah. it's like this just holographic projection kind mm-hmm. of thing, and it is the kind of device that if it fell into the wrong hands, could totally be end of the universe kind of technology. Mm-hmm. And so I think there too with that device there was possibly a missed opportunity or with some kind of temporal observatory which is something that I I use quite heavily in in my own project horizon because I think there's this there's this huge potential also not just from a, a potential threat perspective but just it's intriguing. Mm-hmm. What what can you do with a temporal observatory? What does it mean to observe time? And this could have been a huge player in the Temporal Cold War too if Future Guy had gotten his hands on it or anyone for that matter.
0: So that's another question I have. We see Silic try to steal the Temporal Observatory so he can give it to Future Guy. At the same time, it's a device that is about the size of a tricorder that feels like something that temporal agents would carry around with them. So my question is, is this device very unique or is it common? Is it something that only the Federation has? And Future Guy seems to already have the ability to reach out through the time stream. True. So, what is the role of this device? How unique is it and why do you think Future Guy needed it so much? Um, you know, capabilities that it would give him that he wouldn't already have.
1: Well, I think not having the ability to actually travel through time If he had a temporal observatory, he could then pick out specific moments in time where he could communicate with people. Mm
0: -hmm. Because as you said earlier, maybe it's integrated some way where you could actually transport yourself.
1: Right. And it Mm -hmm. would have to be an integration that would would work across the timeline because if you're in the past, you'd still be able to have to access your temporal observatory. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like temporal Wi-Fi of a sort. And... I think with this device, Future Guy could have... Because I think currently, at least in the show, he's working from a a general understanding of history. He mm-hmm. knows what the enterprise, enterprise crew means to history and what it means if they survive or don't survive. But if he has a temporal observatory, he can suddenly get very specific. Mm-hmm. He can go back and alter exact events and set up the future how he wants it.
0: That makes a lot of sense, definitely. So it could still be that this device is not unique. I mean, it's not a -a one-of-a-kind device. Like Maybe it's Federation technology he's trying to get his hands on. And maybe he's identified this particular one because Daniels is going to the Enterprise. And as you said, he knows the Enterprise is very important in history. And so he's focused on that moment.
1: It could be that... Uh, I think the most logical explanation would be that he didn't need this specific temporal observatory that Daniels had. But maybe he wanted to keep it out of the hands of the Enterprise crew so they wouldn't figure out his plan. Mm, Or Mm. or perhaps he just had Silic grab that particular device while he was there. Mm. Because he was there, if I recall, he was there specifically to save Enterprise.
0: I thought was he was the there objective. just to practice crawling on the ceiling.
1: Well, that too. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he definitely needed to get better at that because he—I uh, I could teach him a few tricks, but <laughs> but I, I don't quite do. I don't quite remember if that. could. But I think it was that he was there specifically to save the ship.
0: Yeah, and he grabbed that while he was there. That seems yeah. right, as I remember. Yeah. I see. Well, that makes sense though, as to why Future Guy would want it. So that's. That's very interesting, for sure. Because
1: there's even the part where uh, where Archer and I think Malcolm are looking at the holographic display mm-hmm. from Daniel's other device, and they have right. to stop themselves from looking at things from the future. Yeah, that's and right. mm-hmm. if you if they had looked at something from the future about future guy, that could even that could be potentially very detrimental to him. Mm-hmm. So he might just want all of the future equipment out
0: of there. And Malcolm just wanted to know which female crew member he would finally end up with, right?
1: <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> there, there's, so, there's some good-looking female uh, crew members in Starfleet.
0: Yeah. We well, remember he was kind of concerned about that. He thought he might be the one yeah. that got left out. So,
1: I, I mean, I do feel kind of bad for him because like he's the only one that didn't find anybody mm-hmm. when uh, in, in E-squared. Yeah. Which is right. another time travel episode, come to think of it.
0: Yeah, it is. And I actually didn't bring any of that into this discussion here because, again, I didn't want to get into pure time travel or or those types of stories in this this particular discussion. But we'll definitely have to do that episode sometime.
1: But it does add an interesting element to the whole temporal observatory Mm -hmm. thing. How does that affect your temporal observatory and the fact that they speculate at the end of that about what actually happened to that crew and why do they still remember them and so on?
0: That's a good point. How does that affect your temporal observatory? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point.
1: Because does the observatory work like where it detects any incursion in the timeline? Or is it more like Google Maps where it needs an update if the geography changes?
0: Could be be like the the navigation system in my car, which um, runs off of DVD because my car is about... DVD? It's... um, How old is my car now? Like eight years old, I think. And so, if we want to update our maps, we need to put in an, a new DVD. <laughs> and there are roads nearby our house here that don't exist on the map. So yeah,
1: so basically, the federation <laughs> needs to get their DVDs out and make sure uh-huh. their temporal observatory is up to date. That's
0: right. Yeah, they have to do like a little flash update there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I hope they're running USB three.
0: I hope, yeah, or or hopefully something even more efficient than that in the 22nd century.
1: Well, we can help. we can help.
0: But we know Zephyr Cochrane used mini-discs for his stepping Right, albums, for his music, so.
1: yeah. <laughs> I love that scene.
0: It's a great scene.
1: And there we go, another instance of time travel. You keep bringing up the time
0: travel episodes. Just can't get away from or movies. it. movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because I got the temporal observatory on here in the studio right now, and I'm just seeing those events pass by right, right. in front of me, so i <laughs> be got to nice. bring them up.
1: Yeah. Well, there's another question. How did the Borg, the the pieces of the Borg ship, uh, that that must not have registered on the temporal observatory? Because you'd think they would have sent agents back to clean that up. Did they even realize that Picard and crew went back in time to to fix those events?
0: Well, I would hope so. They certainly knew that Cisco went back and played with tribbles, so that seems much uh, less harmful (laughs) to the timeline than. Picard and, and the Enterprise. Yeah, that's true. You
1: think they would have cleaned up the Borg
0: wreckage then. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I think we're, we're heading off into a real time right. travel <laughs> discussion here. So I think we'll save yeah. that for a future show here on the network somewhere. So, well, let's wrap up here with the uh, temporal observatory. Do you have any final thoughts, anything else that you find interesting about it that we didn't touch on yet that we want to close with?
1: I want one. <laughs> Other than that. Uh, nothing specifically that I can think of other than it's just a really cool concept uh, thematically and visually speaking. It's something very interesting to think about. And it's, it's interesting to think about what kind of technology would go behind that. And it's very clearly the kind of thing that in a writer's room. You could sit around for days on end debating with the other writers. And unfortunately, even if you come to all these conclusions, you're never going to have time for it on screen. Because the story has to keep going and you just don't have time to break down into all this minutiae mm-hmm. unless you're doing, you know, like web vignettes or something where it's just focused on these specific elements of the of the universe.
0: See, that would be a cool element of the next Star Trek series if they did web vignettes where they could fill in things yeah. like this beyond the screen, yeah.
1: They did something like that with Stargate Universe too, mm. where they oh, yeah. had mm-hmm. various crew members going around with the with the keynotes and they talked about things like the bathrooms and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the Destiny. Because mm-hmm. really that's not anything that you would ever be able to put in an episode where you have this in depth discussion about what ancients used for a toilet. <laughs> but <laughs> if you if you can do vignettes like that, it's the perfect opportunity, really.
0: Yeah, that would be that would be really awesome. I guess my final thought on it would be like you, I want one too, but I'm going to hold off until it becomes a wearable. I want to have it, you know, right. like a watch where yeah. <laughs> I can just hold my arm up and it'll go.
1: And then you can look to your <laughs> Android phone. <laughs> yeah. And it can be called the Smart Observatory.
0: Okay, there you go.
1: <laughs> Powered by Siri. Yeah. Or Cortana.
0: I'm an Apple guy, so I would go for the eye observatory myself.
1: Right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I bow to <laughs> Apple.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, well, this has been really interesting, Tommy. So thanks for stopping by today. Before you go, tell everyone where they can find you if they want to find out more about what you're working on, find out about Horizon. Do you have any tidbit update for us today? Maybe something we haven't heard since last time you were on?
1: Well, I've got about a minute now locked down on the next trailer, and it's going to be about two, two and a half minutes long. And it's going to be like our our official theatrical trailer style okay. th- trailer. Um and so that's looking really cool. It's really exciting. And for those who don't know, Enterprise is just, a, or Horizon, I should say, is a, an independent film based on Enterprise set uh, a year before the founding of the Federation towards the end of the Romulan War. And so if anybody's interested in finding out more about that, it's uh, at StarTrekHorizon.com or Facebook.com STHorizon. And I also do the Twitter thing too, but not too terribly often. Uh and that's at Tommy G Dog G D A W G. And uh so that that's my those are my main squeezes.
0: Awesome. Well everyone go check out Horizon because it's really spectacular. Thank you. All right, well thanks again, Tommy. Looking forward to having you back soon.
1: Thank you for having me. I can't wait to be here in the Temporal Observatory.
0: Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion of the Temporal Observatory today, a very specific topic, but the discussion went in a lot of directions I didn't expect, and so I'm so glad Tommy was here to take us there. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week, so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit.
1: Everything that we do has to exist inside of this little box. This and, window, yeah, if you will, right, and you can you can do whatever you want inside there, but once you step outside, you know it's the real world. Earl Grey. That's you know what I mean, and then Star Trek Five is all about crapping all over <laughs> the rest <laughs> of the movies. Axonar,
0: you know. <laughs> the official podcast. When you're in the edit bay, as soon as you put one image next to another, it's this instant gratification. It's this great creative jolt
1: which happens every time you start juxtaposing your images and when you start seeing things fall into place, it's it's really galvanizing and it's really thrilling, actually. And I love feeding off that kind of, of energy. The ready room.
0: Well, you know, time is not really linear, Char. So the monkey, he's always been there and he always will oh. be.
1: <laughs> I take the Janeway stance on time travel. It gives
0: me a headache. The orb. Batman also creates... A
1: contingency plan for all the other superheroes, just in case something goes wrong with them. So, it so what does he do for the
0: Wonder Twins, for example? Like, how is he going to take them out? If-
1: um, I think he just separates them eternally, so they okay. can't smack their hands together.
0: To the journey. We have like a whole bunch of geek aliens, like they're wearing their own superhero t-shirts, they're eating (laughs) Hot Pockets, they have headphones on, and they're all in their own little, you know, 24th century room, but they're like, dude, dude, I totally just pwned the Voyager. Commentary, Trek Stars. And underlines the goal of Prexy Gale Berman to re-energize the pipeline while revitalizing the PAR brand with top tier talents such as Abrams. I love trains. You have no idea what you're saying at this
1: point. Warp 5. He can put her mind at ease about these kinds of things because he can just, you know, you know how Tripp is. Like, you know, let's have some catfish and like just
0: hang out. (laughs) Continuing Mission. We actually spoke with
1: uh, CBS legal team and uh, that was one of the things that we that we had told them is that we all of our visuals were all original scenes all of our animation was going to be original all of our music would be original so we would not be stealing any content from the original era mm-hmm. and and they liked that a lot
0: literary treks
1: and i just love that because it is very true you know picard in some ways kind of has that Yodaness about him where he will kind of speak in a riddle and he wants you to figure it out
0: and that's what else is happening on trek.fm So tune into all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. Just search for trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us there. Be sure to subscribe to the Master Feed also. The Master Feed contains every episode of every show that we do, along with some other special audio content as well, and it's a great way to sample the wide range of topics that we discuss here on the network. If you've yet to review Warp 5 or any of the other shows that you listen to here and you'd like to get in on our prize drawing, there's still time. If you're listening to this episode of Warp 5 today, as it drops, you still have a couple of days left. The deadline for our contest is Sunday, August 17th at midnight Pacific time. Every review that you leave of a Trekka film show on iTunes and or Stitcher will get you an entry in the drawing. So if you review... 17 shows in both places that's 34 entries so great chance for you to win some great prizes which include some star trek blu-rays and dvds some original starships collection ships some books and some of our original alien art badges. We also have some great embroidered patches from Star Trek Axenar, which have been contributed by Alec Peters and Axenar. And those are for people who review the official Star Trek Axenar podcast, which I do together with Alec here on the network. So be sure to get your reviews in, again, August 17th, that's a Sunday. Midnight Pacific time is the deadline. After you leave your reviews, be sure to go to trek.fm slash review and submit the form that you find there. You need to do that to get your name in the drawing. It's a short form, just lets us know who you are, helps us match you up to the reviews, and lets us know how to contact you as well. Speaking of reviews, we have been getting quite a few, and I'd like to share some more with you today. The first one is from Australia. This is from our dear friend Gary D. Lam in Australia, a very loyal listener, not only of Warp 5, but of the network as a whole. And Gary says, Warp 547, a horror story gone wrong. Rating 5 stars, another great episode of Warp 5, Chris and Tyler. While I agree it seems commonplace for Vulcans to be immune to almost all manner of afflictions that humans are vulnerable to, I think it's all balanced by bounty when T'Pol certainly demonstrates Vulcans are not immune to the alien pathogen. Oh, to have been the doctor in that episode. Good point, Gary. Good point. Yes. Uh, There are certainly exceptions. I do remember this episode that Tyler Johnson and I did, and we talked about the fact that uh, Vulcans do seem to be immune so often, but it's not always the case. So great point there. And thanks for your review, Gary. And thanks always, Gary, for listening and supporting the network as you do and you have done for so long now. We also have a review from Sci-Fi Fan 203, who left us five stars. Great podcast is the subject, and it says great podcast for a great show that is underrated. Very short and sweet, but I think that sums it up for Enterprise. Enterprise definitely is an underrated show, and I'm glad that you appreciate the podcast and that you feel that we're doing a good job covering it. We also have a review from A91R8HA. I have not yet figured out how to pronounce this, but they give us five stars and say can't live without my Trek FM. I've been listening to some of Trek FM's podcasts since early last year. I listen to them while I'm driving on my way to and from school. I find myself so engrossed in the conversation, and I wish I was there. The people who work on this podcast are real Trekkies Trekkers, too, making the conversation all that more interesting because of their extensive knowledge of Trek lore. So thanks so much for that review. I'm glad that we're making your commute better. It's actually one of the reasons, I suppose, that I had for podcasting and creating this network was my own experience years ago of a very long commute, in the days before podcasts, for sure, but actually before smartphones or even iPods. So I'm glad we're helping you out there. And one last review for this show, Tarheel-Trek left us a review in the U.S. store. Five stars, revisit an underrated Trek. I discovered Trek FM podcasts about six months ago and have been listening religiously ever since. The various shows have quickly become my drive-time entertainment of choice. Warp 5 is one of my favorites, as I've recently been giving Enterprise a second look. I've grown to have a greater appreciation of its series run, and Warp 5 has helped with that. You know, that's what we hear from a number of people, that this podcast has helped them give Enterprise a second chance... And come to find that they appreciate the series more. So I'm very glad, Tar Heel Trek, to hear that that's the case for you. And, and once again, someone who is having a better commute because of the show. So I really love to hear that. So thanks so much for that review. And for everyone else, we do have some more reviews. I will read more on a future show. And we hope to hear from more of you here, not only by the deadline of the promotion, but even beyond that. It's a simple thing that you can do that really helps us out because these reviews help us rise up in the search results in iTunes and on Stitcher, but especially on iTunes. And that helps other enterprise fans find the show. So thanks so much. We really, really do appreciate your feedback. And speaking of feedback, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the Temporal Observatory or anything else that Tommy and I talked about today, you can do that by going to Trek.film contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is trek.fm. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm. We have a community on G+. We have forums at Trek. forums. And also, you can send us a voicemail. If you look on the show page in the left sidebar, you'll see the tool for that. Or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and you can do it there as well. And all you need is your webcam or your smartphone or your tablet. You use the microphone on there and you can upload it to us from that page. And I'd love to hear your voice and maybe play some of your voicemails here on the show. If you'd like to find me, I'm in a lot of different places also, both here on the network and in social media. On Twitter, my username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones, and I have my website at cbrianjones.com and on the network I do a lot of shows. Some people say I do too many shows, but I love to talk about Star Trek and I do that on The Ready Room, The Orb, Literary Treks, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, Hyperchannel, and also the official Star Trek Axenar podcast, which I already mentioned I host with Alec Peters. So tune into all those if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the wider world of Star Trek. And lastly, before I let you go, I'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They are the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. I've been a customer for 14 years. I absolutely love them. One book I am really enjoying right now, by the way, if you want to have something to pick up, and it's not Star Trek, it is Year Zero by Rob Reed. It's a hilarious book. If you like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you're going to love this book, It's the story of aliens who become so hooked on Earth music, starting with the theme from Welcome Back, Cotter, that they pirate the music, basically. They realize later on that they owe us more money than is available in the entire universe. And that's a problem because they violated copyright law. It's a really funny book, but the audiobook is read by John Hodgman. And he's brilliant. So pick that up. You can get it absolutely free if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And just sign up for the trial. Pick that book. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that book. But you're going to love Audible. I promise you. And when you support them, it really helps us keep Warp 5 coming to you each week. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. Be sure to use that URL. And we really thank you for doing that. And we thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. thanks again to Tommy for joining me today and thank you for listening. Join me again next time here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.